sadness is a superpower. Sadness is this great superpower that can transform you, all the evidence is, into being more creative, more artistic, and it's the ground for our compassion. Sadness is a blessing. Welcome to Wrestling with God Show the podcast where we grapple with big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and I'm here with a guy who's somehow able to find joy in almost every situation. He's my friend and Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Father Len. Hey, Irish. Hey, Irish. Yeah, find joy in every situation? I don't know. I can find the cloud around any silver lining. It's probably what my... Friends would say. So, so Father Len, the, the subject that you've chosen to grapple with today, I think it's going to put your supposed, anyway, joyous nature to the test. I'm really kind of excited to hear you help us recognize and experience what you refer to as the joy of sadness. Well, okay, I would probably change it not to joy, but the blessedness of sadness. Oh. But- And that's a hard part. There is a great blessing that comes with sadness. And so last month I went to Boise. I don't like to do that because it takes time away from my parish, but went to Boise to celebrate a funeral of a guy I went to college with. His name was Eric Winans. I married him and his wife. I baptized his kids. I buried his parents and so, you know, I just had to make time to go to his funeral. And at the, his funeral, you know, his daughter, Emily, she was, of course, broken up. She lost her dad. And, you know, she has this hollowness inside. Mm-hmm. And at the eulogy, Eric's brother got up, David, got up and gave this eulogy that wasn't a little rambling, could have been tighter, but I thought it was excellent mm-hmm. because he gets up and he says to Emily and Eric's daughter and son says, I know what you're going through. I lost my parents. I know that. Um, He says, but I got to tell you, Eric had seven siblings. And he says that you have seven uncles and aunts that will be there for you. Your father was my best friend. And he gives this eulogy where basically says, I know the pain that you're going through. And yet it, his eulogy is, this pain can wake you up to be more tender and compassionate. And when he was giving it, I was in my head like, yes, please, people listen to this. Mm -hmm. The truth is sadness is a superpower. Sadness is this great superpower that can transform you. All the evidence is into being more creative, more artistic, and it's the ground for our compassion. And there is a huge difference between sadness and depression. And Like if you go to a psychologist, they would have said to Emily, who lost her father, well, you're suffering from depression. That is so not true. Anyone who's really knows human emotions, there's a ocean, vast difference between depression that sucks all the life out of you and sadness. Both are painful, but they're not the same thing. And denying sadness leads to a toxic life of normative smiles. Uh, I know this priest who really is a good priest, but for all the pain in his life, 
He simply denies all of it. And over a lifetime, like he is the quintessential saint of normative smiles. He just smiles and smiles, smiles, and he doesn't understand not embracing the sadness in his life has cut him off from others. So the world is going to say to you, you should always be happy. And that's what he tries. Always be happy. And if that's your position, then the gift of sadness, and it's a gift, will look like a curse. Instead, sadness gives you a keen eye to understand other people's pain. Denial blinds you and leads you into greater self-absorption. So I think there's overwhelming psychological studies that prove the words of Christ, that blessed are those who mourn. That the study, and I'll talk about this, there's a high correlation between people who cry at commercials and being creativity. Sadness makes you more attentive to beauty. Sadness makes you more attentive to other people and more connected. Uh, So really, sadness and mourning, it's a superpower. And the odd part is there is no correlation between suffering and bitterness. In fact, the opposite is true. Those who know true sadness, they become anti-fragile. And there's this great article from Malcolm Gladwell where he observes, he's this writer, and he observes that those eminent historical figures who lost a parent early tend to be very successful. That he's going through all these historical biographies, and then he checks the encyclopedia, and a third of all the great figures lost a parent early in childhood. So that pain, that sadness, how propel them to either be president or prime minister. Now, Hmm. if you don't handle the sadness well, it'll go the opposite way of prison. But my point being is sadness, what he observes, can make you a more successful person. So this sounds kind of strange, but they did the study that there's less desperation during the bombing of London in World War II. Uh, There's sadness, but there's no desperation. And they were getting bombed constantly. Um, There's great sadness, but simultaneously great resistance. Or Solzhenitsyn, the famous writer, he says, and there's a great line where he says, bless you, prison. Bless you, prison. Bless you, prison? He was put in the gulags unjustly. And yet, at the end of his life, he can say, no, that was a blessed place. What he means is that that sadness of the prison life, it was a university for an opportunities for growth. Looking back, that's what made him a great person was the sadness of the prison. And I've noticed some of the best priest confessors are those who have struggled with their own pains. They're excellent. Or look at the history of our saints. There's this one saint, Mother Maria of Paris. She was actually Russian and you know, started life off quite, you know, upper class and wealthy. But the sad part is after the revolution, she goes to Paris. And in Paris, she loses all three children, which is incredible. Wow. Um, Somewhere I told you they're the funeral for the two BK kids who died. In the car accident. Yes. Yeah. And I have to tell you, just watching their parents suffer, that was hard on me. You know, the shaking hands, the crying like their heart was completely broken open. And Mother Maria, she didn't lose one child. She lost all three children. 
And her reaction to it was not to become bitter or angry or even depressed. That sadness, yeah, it pierced her heart and her blood flowed out. But her blood, metaphorically, became this blanket to save a lot of life. She decided once she lost her children that she'd become a mother to the poor and the most rejected in Paris. And so she took in everybody. doesn't matter. And I kind of like her because she smoked and drank and cussed. So I think I'd get along with her. But she had this great motherly love for all people, especially the most rejected. So her sadness, her broken hardness gave birth to this great love. Now, she ends up dying in the concentration camp because she would tear down Nazi posters and she gets caught for hiding and transporting Jews. So in Israel, she's one of the righteous Gentiles because she saved so many lives. But her life didn't end up in bitterness and depression. You know, depression makes you listless. Depression makes you less concerned for action and other people's suffering. Sadness gives you this great, fierce compassion. So Mother Maria's holiness, in one sense, is this indictment of those who think Christ can only be found in the walls of the church. Christ can be found by those people who have loved deeply. And like Christ, our hearts have to be pierced sometimes. So Mother Maria's great love started out with motherhood, her three children, but then evolved into really this mystical love with the death of her children. But that sadness gave her a power of defiant love to guard the poor, guard the Jews, and even face persecution from Nazism. Sadness was her way to this deep love and really unshakable uh, happiness. And so for Catholics, like if you look at the 2000 years of saints, joy sometimes comes from sadness. St. Francis, he tells the story of, you know, he lived this privileged, wealthy kid, but he never had joy. And then once he gives it all up and shares his food with lepers and he ate what was really gruel, he tells the story that suddenly he felt such joy when he embraced suffering. So if we turn away from sadness and suffering, we're really turning away from joy. So once again, sadness is this superpower. So there's a strange correlation between sadness and all these great gifts. So psychologists came up with this. It's a bittersweet quiz. And it came up with these correlations of people who test high. And I'm going to say bittersweetness because it doesn't mean depression. Sadness and depression are not the same thing. But this correlation between those who test high on sadness that, you know, they cry at commercials there. Anyhow, they've had some death like or some bit of pain like uh, Emily, the loss of a father. And oddly enough, the correlation is one, they tend to be more creative. The study found that there's a correlation between a sense of sadness and states of creativity, states of awe and wonder. I think that's amazing. Why is there a correlation between sadness and art? In this odd way, sadness wakes you up to look for beauty and meaning. So it's strange. The other issue is that they notice this correlation to people who seek the transcendent, which I think is amazing because in Hebrew, the word for longing is the same root word for passion. 
And oddly, those who have these transcendent experiences, it begins with this longing or homesickness for something more. Like Hmm. Emily, when she describes this hollow feeling of the loss of her father who she loved, it's a homesickness. Uh, It's a homesickness for a love. But think about this. The Bible starts with this longing, this homesickness for paradise. It is the story of humanity's homesickness. And the Bible is one long story looking for the new Jerusalem. We are journeying our way back to this place, this place of love. The Garden of Eden. Yeah, the Garden in Eden, heaven. Or they have these other stories of, and this sounds kind of strange because Western part of the world, we don't focus on it. But in the Bible, there's these stories of longing of for the lover of my soul, and that's Christ. So you have all these prophecies that, you know, God will marry us. When the Messiah comes, God will marry us. We have this longing for the lover of our souls, not not a marital person, but God. So the Bible is this story of a homesickness, of a longing for a lover. And like C.S. Lewis said, this was uh, one of the things that convinced him away from being an atheist. So he is a head atheist. And yet he noticed in himself this inconsolable longing. And that convinced him that there was a divine. Because he said, why would I have a thirst for a place and a love unless it could be quenched? Let's say you have a thirst for hunger. You can satisfy it with food. If you, your body has this thirst for water and it can be satisfied with water. And so why does his heart have this, he has this great poem on it, a fragrance that he's never known, a place that he's never known. And, or even the story of Homer's Odyssey, a famous Greek story, it's about his journey home, but it starts with homesickness. Odysseus is crying on the beach for his home and his wife. Then the real story starts. And so in Greek, that's called Pothos, and in Greek mythology, Pothos was the god of longing. And I love this, that he was the brother of desire and the child of love, Eros. So longing is related to desire, but a child of love. And life is this aching longing. In the aching longing of the cosmos, we are aching creatures. And I'm just slightly misquoting Leonard Cohen, but (laughs) the the universe is this aching cosmos. We are aching creatures. And this aching and longing and sadness, it was a spark of his music and many other artists. And so in this odd way, just looking at like Catholic spirituality, have you ever wondered why there's always a procession at Mass? Why do we always process into Mass? And the answer is because God told us to (laughs) Hmm. part of the Old Testament. But it symbolizes that we are a homeless people. We are a homesick people looking for the true sanctuary, which is heaven. You know, as you're talking about this and saying that depression. Depression is not sadness. It's not sadness. But what, what occurs to me is that there's kind of a thin line between the two. It's almost like a fork in the road. You can either take the fork if, if you run into some difficulty in your life, you have a big loss in your life, if something like that happens to you, you can, 
you can head down the depression fork in the road, or you can head down the sadness fork in the road. And sadness brings life and love. But and but creativity. it also but it also occurs to me how how do you how, how do you make that choice? How does somebody veer down this the sadness road and not the depression road? Well, I, I, actually, that's a really great question, and I think there it has to be purposeful. Think about this. Going back to the mass thing, the procession. Think about this. In the Old Testament, New Testament. God commands that when you gather together to worship, there has to be a procession, that your life is this homesickness. That's not a bad thing. That's something from God. So like the word for like a religious celebration in Hebrew comes from the word leg, which means there first must be a journey with other people, not alone. Depression is when you're alone. Sadness is when you're with other people. Or, or if you're Jewish, and let's say Emily lost Eric. And if you're Jewish, what you would say is, your greeting would be, you'd say to her, may the place give you comfort. What is the place when Jews say that? The place is one of the names for God. And in Judaism and Catholicism, we are always journeying to the place. So we will always be homesick until we end up there. In a way, that's embracing the fact that, no, in life, there's supposed to be sadness. Your life is not complete until you find your way to the place, God. But life is meant to be filled with a lot of sadness. And that sadness drives us to the transcendence. So in the psychological study, maybe sadness is connected to those who seek the transcendent. And the point is, there is this naming longness that there's a sadness in the lives that is actually a blessing that takes up the journey to God. That's why like more creativity for those who are sad. Secondly, more transcendence. And third, they found out that those who have sadness have a greater sense of purpose in their lives. Not that they have sadness, that they're aware of their sadness. So when, when Emily could articulate her sadness, I think that's going to give birth to a pain. So they gave this study of 50 laid-off engineers. They're computer engineers. And one group, as this, therap- as this kind of interesting test, one group, they just asked to write down their feelings. And the other ones did not. Now, here's the odd part. The ones who wrote about their feelings of sadness, there was a huge difference between them. The ones who expressed their feelings, even writing it down, were vastly more likely to find a new job. Two-thirds of them found new jobs. Less health problems with heart and blood pressure. So in this odd part, attentiveness to our sadness helps us to be attentive to other people and helps us find a purpose. And the first, fourth thing, I just want to mention one more, is those who are attentive to their sadness actually are more connected to others that this bittersweet sadness is a connection. So like after 9-11, when the country was in pain, and oddly enough, we had the highest rates of people volunteering to become firefighters, join the military, become nurses. Somehow that pain of, and sadness of 9-11 activated us to care for other people more. And oddly, with more distance from 9-11, 
the rates of volunteerism caring for others has significantly dropped, especially in economic boom times. So like Ian Forrester said, only connect was his great line, only connect. Sadness motivates us to connect. So the Bible keeps repeating, hear the cry of the poor. That, that's a common refrain. Mm-hmm. Maybe we hear the cry of the poor because it connects us. It brings about a sense of purpose. And like our bodies have this vega nerve, this the biggest bundle of nerves in our body that becomes activated when we see other people's pain. So like it's connection, connection, connection. The problem, yeah. I think, is that our society says that sadness is a bad thing, that they equate sadness with depression. And so remember the priest who is always smiling but never happy? The problem is I think he's sucked into American positivism, that you always have to be happy, 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 happy. And did you know in this study, Americans smile more than any other country? They test out to me more depressed. Let's look at why America does that. Why is America shy away from sadness? This obsession with positive thinking is just a form of denial of sadness. Totally true. Um, And it starts actually with the beginning of the United States, with Calvinism in colonial USA, where in Calvinism, they believed that, we disagree with this, that you're predestined to either heaven or hell. Now, that is a misreading of the scripture. They believe that out of the billions of people that existed in, in, in human history, only 144,000 are going to be saved. But here's the problem. You don't know whether you've won the lottery that you'll end up in heaven where the vast majority of people die. So what did the Calvinists say they had to do? They basically said that you have to fake it and act like you're part of the 144. So hmm. always act like you're saved. Act like you're a winner. You always pretend to be a winner and never, never, never admit to losing or feel pain or rejection. So it results in this philosophy of being positive and uh, always pretending. Now, we started off that way. And then what happened recently is this obsession, whether in New Age theology of positive thinking, which they have found is one of the worst advice you can give to people. You want to be honest, not, you know, bright-sided, ignorant of, I'm just going to think positive. Or Robert Schuler, he was this uh, TV evangelist. He yep. tells a story that still shocks me because I saw it once. He's talking and smiling and he says, no, no, always be positive. And he tells a story that his own daughter had cancer and they had to amputate her leg. So he says, hi, and he tells us on TV and says, so I walked into her hospital room and she looks at me and she starts to cry and she says, daddy, they took my leg. And he says, I walked over to the curtains and I threw open the curtains and he said, yes, but look what a beautiful day it is. Oh, no. Oh, my God. That's what you did to your daughter. You couldn't share in her suffering. Positive, you know, being super positive is a form of denial. You should have been there with her pain. That's a form of child abuse. That's denial. And there's a psychological theory called amplification, that the more you repress something, the more you act out on it. So if you want to like say, I am going to just deny and lie to people that I have a drinking problem, the more you drink. 
it happens with drinking or sex or anything else. Even if like, I want to have the perfect family. If you're driven by that, it has this amplification that the more you'll snap at people. Mm-hmm. So the amplification says, it's a great story where if I said to you, don't think of white polar bears, what are you thinking of? White polar bears. Yep. So repression manifests itself in other places in our lives. So this upset, American obsession with always be positive actually is a form of repression. And there's this guy named uh, James Pennebaker, and he was just out of college. He got married just out of college, and he started drink. But when he'd drink, he'd fight with his wife, and that would make him depressed, which would make him drink more, which would make him fight with his wife. <laughs> <laughs> this vicious circle. So here's the odd part. He admits that he just tried to deny the problem, that there is no problem. So, But Pennebaker starts to write down his feelings, which helped in his depression and helped talk to his wife, and everything improved. But Pennebaker, what he was, was a social psychologist. So he realized, wow, I was caught in the cycle. And what, what really helped him was admitting the truth. So he did the study of other people, of writing down their problems, just admitting the sadness. And it lowered people's blood pressure, made them happier just to admit their loss and problems. So positivity is a form of denial that will just make the problems worse. Positivity doesn't allow you to feel the bitter sweetness of sadness. And sadness is a blessing. So our culture teaches you that optimism and positive thoughts will trigger happiness yep it's logical but there's no evidence to that what they're doing anybody who's teaching that you are driving fast down a dead-end road with a brick wall actually sadness leads to greater love that love and sadness are not two separate things sadness is about caring you miss somebody emily misses her father Sadness is a homesickness. Now, that's not depression. Depression is about not caring. Sadness is about caring. And sadness and love are intimately connected. There's this great story about Franz Kafka, the writer, who I think this is a hilarious, insightful story. He's very inventive, creative, and he's out in the park, and this girl is crying because she lost her doll. And she's unconsolable. So he says, oh, uh, he said, you're lucky. I am actually a doll postman. So what he does is deliver her letters from her lost doll. And the letters is she's on this new adventure and she's learning so much. And he'd be delivering her letters about the new doll. And finally, he gives her a new doll. But it explains in the letter, she explains that, The reason why she looks different is because all her adventures changed her. But he has sewn into the dress a note for her to discover late in life. And the note said, quote, everything that you love, you will lose. But that love will return in a new way. So Hmm. in Harry Potter, Luna says something almost identical to that, that Love and sadness, they're connected. Yes, everything you love, you will lose. But actually, he's right. All the studies are love simply, you embrace sadness, and love returns in a new way. 
Well, it, I think it returns in terms of compassion. When you embrace sadness, when you embrace, you're saying, you're saying that if you deny the sadness, you're denying reality. You're denying the ability to see what's important, what life is about. And what you have left is depression. Yep. And a faky, phony positivism. So I, to, I told you about this the other day, and this is coming right back to me. I think the other thing, I watched this uh, interview with one of your favorite authors, the guy who wrote the book Lost Connections. Oh, well, and the reason, favorite, but it's insightful. Yeah, well, you but you like the book. You, yeah, you've it. referenced it multiple times. Anyway, he was on being interviewed because there's all kinds of new evidence that drugs are not effective in treating depression. And I think it really plays into exactly what you're saying here, because the drugs just mask what the reality, mask the sadness and all that kind of stuff. And what really struck me, and I think this is a real key element, I think this a key element to what you're saying, because it's really, you know, I'm thinking of the Blessed Virgin Mary sitting at the foot of the cross, you know, yeah. as, you know, I mean, you talk about sadness and stuff. But here's the key. Now, at the that, end, that it, image is called Our Lady of Sorrows, which I'm, I'll let you continue, but that's a great image. So go yeah, ahead. Yeah, it's perfect. But the guy who was doing this interview with the guy who wrote Lost Connections, at the end, he had this interesting commentary, which I think put a lot of this in perspective. He said this The central fact of human life is that it ends. A secular society that has no answer to what happens after death is absolutely certain to make everyone crazy and neurotic. So, everyone is crazy and neurotic. To me, what you're saying is, I mean, the, the thing that keeps you from going down the depression route and going, you know, to uh, embracing sadness is hope. If you lose hope, you are depressed. And, you know... Yeah. If you think this world, it all ends here, you know, and whatever you lose in this world, I mean, my gosh, I mean, you, you have no hope. I, yeah, I, I just think it's really I mean, interesting. I would love to do a, a podcast on hope and lost connections. Okay. Uh, but like, what you said is right. Like life ends. So, you know, sadness gives birth to greater love. Yep. That's all. There's overwhelming. Like there's a St Sanford study, Stanford, sorry, study that identified a group of people that are predisposed to happiness. Isn't that absolutely amazing? Yep. They love easily. They forgive the fastest. They're the slowest to get angry. And do you know what group this is? I don't. The elderly. Hmm. Well, I shouldn't say all elderly, like oddly enough, you're either or, it's black and white. But for some, for many elderly people, as life goes on, there is more and more reasons for this bittersweet sadness, which actually causes more happiness, more love. Well, the, the paradox is that everything is going wrong for the elderly. Sickness, financially fixed, losing loved ones. And oddly enough, because they don't have a lot of time, they don't want to hold on to resentments. They just want to love. And the studies show that there's this connection between sadness giving birth to greater love and greater forgiveness. And so like 
I want to lean into my sadness. I pray, seriously, I do pray, and Catholics do. We pray that our sadness becomes more love. So this sounds kind of strange, but I have a bunch of pictures um, that break my heart. I have a picture of this uh, grandmother holding her baby when I was a missionary who, God, they were so needy. I have this image in my head of families living in garbage dumps or one more just recently that's in my head is, did you see that picture of all the baby strollers that the Polish left at the train station? Mm -hmm. So these Ukrainian mothers, I mean, there's hundreds of them. How can you not see that and have your heart broken? Totally. Um, I've experienced, have experiences that have broken my heart. I want to pray through them to make me more kind and loving. So in this odd way, sadness is a type of love. And so there's this very famous figure, Rumi, great mystic. But Rumi, he's this poet. He was the Shakespeare of Persia. He has a story of this guy praying who never got an answer back. So the cynic says, why do you keep praying when you never got an answer back? And so Kadar, the guider of souls, Allah, in this thick green foliage, comes to him in this one night of disturbed sleeping and says to him, why did you stop praying? And he says, because I've never heard anything back. And the guide of all souls says, that longing you express is the return message. The grief you cry out from draws you towards union. Your pure sadness, that want of help, that is the secret cup. Listen to the moan of a dog for its master. That's whining is the connection. And then he says, and I love this line of the poem, there are love dogs no one knows the names of. Give your life to be one of them. So back hmm. to Emily, that's what her uncle was trying to say in the eulogy, that Eric's daughter, Emily, I pray she becomes one of those love dogs because she's embraced suffering. And I also love the fact in the poem, he says, that is the secret cup, that the secret cup of love and the cup of sadness are the exact same cup. Wow. And think about us as Catholics. We literally believe that. The cup that we use at Mass, the Eucharistic cup, it, in the Bible, it's called many names. It is called the cup of suffering, but it's also called the cup of love. And only late in life did I really, I mean, I knew this intellectually, did I realize that, oh, to drink from the cup of suffering is also the same cup of love. It's the wow. same cup that we use at Mass. If we accept and pray our sadnesses, yeah, I think they turn into love. So as one saint said, quote unquote, don't waste your sorrows. Those who sow in tears reap in joy. You know, don't waste your sorrows. And I have to say, I just know so many, like, let's say, St. Mother Maria of Paris. You know, she planted her, the seeds of her tears and it ended up in justice and this harvest of love and joy. So, yeah, we plant our tears, but don't waste our sadness. But look at this. We gather at, as Catholics around the cross that, yeah, the cross is suffering, but it's a way of life. Christ says, blessed are those who mourn. Or you mentioned the image of Mary, our lady of sorrows. 
So the cause of Christ's suffering, why he died for us, was that he loved us so much. Yep. The image of our later sorrows, Mary has these like seven swords in her heart, is because she loved greatly. So sadness is not depression. That just drives it. There's a huge difference between sadness and depression. What I want to do as Catholics is not say, well, if you're sad, there's something wrong with you. You need to see a psychologist. Actually, day after day after day, I am praying my sadnesses. Like, I think it's, you asked how, why? I think it starts with all these imageries that no, nothing's wrong if you're having sadness. It is hard. It is. But it also gives birth to this great love. Those whose hearts have been pierced, their hearts pour out with greater love. So I just think the first step is to realize there's a huge difference between sadness and depression. Mm-hmm. Secondly, sadness is our lot in life. That's not a curse. That's a blessing. We'll become great lovers. Why is it those people who embrace sadness turn out to be more connected, more creative in the arts? I think the cup of love and the cup of sadness is the exact same thing. Same thing. So it's a great blessing. It's a superpower that our culture and country want to deny. That's a great lesson to. That's I think like I'm just trying. That's what his the uncle was trying to say to Emily at the funeral. Yep. I really I I was just uh, I was gritting my teeth like damn it Emily you are going to become a love doc. Yeah, it's (laughs) terrible. She lost her father. Yep. But maybe great blessings will come of this. Deny, well, I, she'll have depression. Embrace, she'll, she'll have, have a heart love. full of love. Yep. Well, Father Lynn, I think that's a good place to end this. And we welcome your comments and questions for Father Lynn about sadness, about love, about any of the things that we experience in life. It's easy to get those to us. You can just shoot me an email. Father Len hates email, but I will read it and pass it I along do, to I Father do. Len. My address is irish at wwgproductions.org. That's irish at wwgproductions.org. Or you can leave me a text or a voicemail at 208-391-3738. That's 208-391-3738. This podcast is created and distributed by Wrestling With God Productions. Our theme music is composed and performed by Jake Einick and Kevin Barnett. And the lifeblood of Wrestling With God Productions comes from generous donors who support our mission. And if you've benefited from one of our podcasts, please consider making a donation at givesendgo.com slash wwgproductions. That's givesendgo.com slash wwgproductions. Thanks for your support, and we hope you'll join us next time as we continue our journey climbing the mountain of life, searching for truth, meaning, purpose, and embracing sadness to find love in our life. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Mm -hmm.